where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. How are you today, Zoe? I'm good. Feels good to be back in the studio to be recording another episode with you. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm back on campus. I'm doing a lot of work in the library, which is really fun. Learning a lot about what librarians do. So that's That's, exciting. It is pretty fun, honestly. Underrated profession. Um, It's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it feels like it was just a lot of work for very little pay and appreciation, which kind of sucks. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's like, it's, it's also details that are surprising. Like, the last week we were, like, literally measuring the length of, like, the books on the shelves. Like, how much space the books take up on the shelves. Which, like, you don't really think about, but, like, that's important because you have to figure out how to reorganize the books so there aren't, like, a ton of shelves that are super jammed and then a bunch of empty shelves. That is interesting. So That's cool, though. Yeah, that's what I was doing last week. Um, yeah, it was really interesting and it was fun. And so that's what I've been doing. And also I have other work that I want to get done um, over January term. But yeah, I've been having a good time. I've been relaxing a lot, reading a lot, uh, watching TV, taking it easy. Yeah. Nice. How about you, Lizzie? Um, I'm doing fine. I uh, came back from America and I have to say, <laughs> I literally hate flying cross-continentally. It sucks, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Anyway, though, I'm happy to be back as well. And Mm -hmm. it's the new year. Yeah. It's not our first episode of the new year, but it's our first themed episode of the new year. It is. And I'm excited about this one. I am too. Um, Before we get into that, two things. First of all, we recently um, set up a Ko-fi page um, for donations, which we have mentioned before, but we're going to mention it again. So yeah. um, you can donate monthly or you can do a one-time payment and then you have access to like our backlog of posts of which we currently have none. But um, but. but we are planning on like special like bonus episodes to do. Yeah, it's a lot of it is going to be talking about adaptations of myths and like books and TV shows. And various and topics think that are relevant to the actual podcast, but that we still think are interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so if you like to hear us talk and you want to hear us review books and stuff. But still mythological focused. Uh-huh. Then you should definitely give us a donation. One-time donation will allow you to see some stuff, but if you give a recurring donation, then you'll be able to see all the stuff that we come out with. So that'll be really cool for you. And also, a uh, shout out to Luca, who is currently our recurring donor, which is super exciting. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And also Zane, who is our number one supporter in general. Yes, that is true. Well, tied for number one. Well, (laughs) yeah. And my mom. Yeah. My mom, too. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the second thing was that we are going to do, well, our annual survey, which we should have done already, but oh well. But there will be a link if you want to help us improve the podcast and give us your feedback. There will be a link in the description. Yeah, so you can talk about topics that you'd like to see covered, um, anything. General feedback. General feedback, yeah, that you'd like to see improved upon. And yeah, 
Uh, we would love to hear your nice feedback. Things. Yeah, if you want to tell us nice things. If you also want to tell us nice things, you can leave us reviews on podcasts. Um, we could do leave reviews on Spotify now, which is super exciting. So Yes. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So those are two things to keep an eye out for. They'll both be linked in the description. So please check those out, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Yes. So back to the episode. Yeah. So back today, to episode. Zoe, what is our theme? So our theme today to celebrate the new year and also to really think about winter, which is honestly just kicking up for me personally. It's supposed to be really cold these next few days is hearth goddesses. So we're going to be talking about women and mythology who represent or control the sphere of the hearth. So hearth goddesses, first of all, Merriam-Webster defines the hearth as a brick, (laughs) stone or concrete area in front of a fireplace the floor of a fireplace or the fireplace itself, home, or a vital or creative center. So all of these definitions, to me, help create the archetype of the hearth goddess, as I've observed throughout my research this episode. So specifically, hearth goddesses can be distinguished from other types of goddesses, such as like goddesses of fire, because they are specifically embodying the fire within the home. So not just fire in general, but the fire that you use to cook to keep you warm, the fire that you keep inside your house and within your community. They can also often fall under the category of a domestic goddess or deity, which is a god that oversees the function of the household and protects the household. These types of gods are unique in that they were worshipped at home as opposed to in temples, which was uncommon at the time. However, we do distinguish hearth goddesses from domestic goddesses because, again, domestic goddesses aren't always associated specifically with the hearth. Sometimes they're just associated with the home in general, and we're really focusing on the hearth this episode. Though there can also be overlap. There's definitely overlap, but some people we looked into was just like, oh, you're just kind of like more about the home, which is another interesting topic that we'll probably talk about another time, but we really want to talk about fire. So it's believed that the concept of these gods emerged from ancestor worships and religions like Shintoism, in which an ancestor was honored as the head of the household and its protector. However, even though these gods weren't worshipped in temples, it doesn't mean they weren't considered important. I feel like with modern day electricity and heating and everything, it's really hard to understand just how essential fire and the hearth were to life for like thousands of years. Like the hearth was the center of the home. It was your main source of heat, which is really important, especially in places where it's colder. Uh, It was where you cooked, as I said earlier. And it was also where people would gather around to spend time together, Mm -hmm. tell stories share meals together. Most cities and towns also had a communal hearth that people were tasked with attending to and where people could gather. Similarly, many temples had hearths for sacrifices or other important ceremonies. So the hearth was important to home life, communal life, and religious life. And it was also shown to have important political significance as the center of the city or community, sometimes equal to or greater to the religious significance of the hearth. So the hearth was, like, really important. Hearth spirits and gods slash goddesses were also considered to be closer to and more able to affect the lives of people than, like, the great leaders of the gods, such as, like, Zeus or Jupiter or Odin, due to their close position and the households and towns of people. Because, you know, they were with you all the time. The hearth is with you all the time. And so, therefore, they were really important to keep happy and to honor because they were so present. Then specifically thinking about the goddess aspect of the hearth, the home is a sphere traditionally associated with the woman, the wife or mother, and 
as the head of the household and like the sort of the household chores aspect, the one who's cooking, the one who's taking care of the household. Women are often tasked with taking care of the hearth fire, making sure the fires are hot and healthy, cooking food, as I said earlier. And so therefore, it's no surprise that a lot of the gods specifically associated with the hearth and fireplace are women. The hearth is a traditional woman's place of influence. I also feel like there's this sort of thing where women like give life and hearth also provides life or like sustains life. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense too, to be honest. Like the association is definitely there. And I mean, like if we want to get into like Freudian concepts, like the <laughs> fireplace is sort of like... <laughs> no. <laughs> A feminine symbol. I'm sorry, but you know... Well, that is yeah. not to what I was referring, but okay. I mean... But I mean, fire yeah. gives life, and it's like energy, and... Yeah. And similarly, women traditionally give, give life. life to humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, hearth goddesses really... Like, we have fire goddesses, or gods, a lot of the time, who focus on more of, like, the destructive power of fire. Hearth goddesses really focus on the life-giving properties of fire, and the importance Mm -hmm. of fire and the necessity of fire. And I think that these goddesses kind of demonstrate the importance of women's roles throughout history in day-to-day lives. So although traditionally men were fighting wars and governing cities, obviously that's not the case for like every single civilization in the world. Like uh, Mm -hmm. like, that would be a huge generalization. Um, But that was in the case for a lot of places. Women were at home holding the civilizations together through their labor inside and around the home every single day. And even though society continually denigrates this work and even refuses to recognize it as work a lot of the time, like to this day, the importance of these goddesses in the past shows a sort of recognition of the necessity of this labor. Maybe. That's my sort of theory um, about her I mean, it is very important. Yeah. The maintenance of the home is very important because the home is also the center of life for, like, anyone. Yeah, and again, I think it's really interesting to think about the importance of the hearth and the specifically mythology because, as I said, the hearth is where you tell stories, Mm -hmm. and those are the stories that become, like, the mythological canon. And also, again, there are hearths in temples for worship, so, like, it's really important to, like, mythology as a whole, like, as a practice, so that's really interesting, too. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of our little introduction. Lizzie, who's our first lady today? So the first lady we're going to talk about today is Gabia from Lithuania. So Gabia is the Lithuanian goddess of fire and the protector of the home and family. Her name comes from the verb gaupti, which means to cover, which relates to the process of carefully putting out the fire at the end of each day and then praying to Gabia to ask her to stay put and not wander. She's envisioned as a cat, stork, or rooster, Mm. or alternately as a woman dressed in red, sometimes also with wings. Uh. Traditionally, in Lithuania, the extinguishing of the hearth fire was an important duty that would only be done by a woman. The mistress of the home would carefully and lovingly cover the coals while repeating a prayer that her mother taught her. To be neglectful or careless in this task could bring disaster to her home and loved ones, as Gabia was not to be neglected or disrespected. Fire was sacred in the traditional Lithuanian religion. Fire protected people from the beasts and terrors of the night, and it was considered to be supernatural and Mm otherworldly. This continued when fire was brought into homes and developed a new meaning as the hearth fire united families and clans and eventually cities. The ancient Balts were known as fire worshippers. For example, one Greek source called them pyrolatrians, pyrolatrians, or those who love 
were worshipped mm-hmm. fire. There are several origins of fire in Lithuanian folktales. For example, one says that fire was brought from the underworld by a swallow mm. who burned her tail into the distinctive V shape that swallows oh, have. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. And another says that fire was brought down from the heavens by the thunder god Perkunas during a storm. It was traditional that fires would be tended to by women, not just in the home, but also in rituals conducted by priestesses who would tend to sacred fires, and still to this day, ritual fires are lit by women. Mm-hmm. Traditional offerings to Gabia are salt and bread, and if some salt or food falls into the fire while a woman is cooking, she will say, Gabia, be satisfied. Nice. It's also customary to leave an empty bowl near the hearth in case Gabia wants to wash, and women would say, bathe and rest, fiery one. Wow. Yeah, and so with the coming of Christianity, she also came to be associated with Saint Agatha. Do you know her? No. She is the... Did she get, like, burned at the stake or something? Okay, so according to the (laughs) legend, basically, she refused the advances of this man, and so he tortured her and also um, cut off her breasts, and sometimes she's depicted with her breasts on a plate. Oh, she's the breast on the plate lady! Exactly, and she was going to be burned at the stake, but then she wasn't, but I guess Mm -hmm. because of that association, she's associated with, like, fire and protection against fire. Um, I can't really find a clear reason why Gabia is linked to St. Agatha, but I saw it mentioned a bunch of times, other than the fact that apparently Agatha in Russian is, like, Agafia, kind of sounds like Gabia. I don't know. Mm. And, well, Russian and Lithuanian aren't, like, very related, but they're near each other. I'm guessing there's, like, transfer like linguistic yeah, transfer. I don't, I don't know. know. Well, I know that the Lithuanians that I know all spoke Russian like fluently as well. That's kind of what I'm basing that off of. Like they're it's an important language in Lithuania even though it's not Lithuanian. Yeah, I mean, anyway. that could be Soviet influence, but also I don't know. Anyway, I think it's really interesting the way that Gabia and the way that Lithuanians referred to fire was it was very like sacred, like it was like life-giving and not destructive. It's considered to be the opposite of destructive, like it's mm-hmm. it protects you and it's just life-giving and like energy yeah. and not power and not anything bad. Yeah, for sure. Cuz fire obviously can be destructive, but I think it's a very beautiful way of looking at things that like mm-hmm. fire helps you like fire protects you keeps you warm Mm -hmm. it's totally true yeah yeah that's really that's i really liked um, the description of all the rituals associated with gavia i thought those were Mm -hmm. like all really beautiful and like fun and i agree yeah so our next lady is chuang xing who is a goddess of fire in the hearth in Korean shamanism, primarily worshipped by housewives in the southern part of the Korean peninsula. So the traditional ritual used to worship her is centered around a bowl of water on a clay altar above the hearth, which embodies Chuang Xin. So actually very similar to Gavia, a little. Mm. So every morning, the wife of the house would wake up, put fresh water in the bowl, and kneel before it to pray for luck. Chuangxin was also honored at every festival with fruit and a rice cake called to. Chuangxin upholds five taboos over how the hearth should be maintained by those looking after the hearth. Do you want to hear those five taboos? I do. Okay. Do not curse while in the hearth. Do not sit on the hearth. Do not place your feet on the hearth. Maintain the cleanliness of the kitchen. You may worship other gods in the kitchen. Okay. And if you do not follow these taboos, Xuangxin will become vengeful and punish you. Yeah. So it's clear that she is obviously very focused on the hearth, but when we get to maintain the cleanliness of the kitchen, we see that she sh- sort of branches out to, in general, how the household is run. Mm-hmm. The center of her power is the hearth, but she's also reminding people, you know, like, take care of the kitchen, keep your house clean, you know, like, keep things like orderly. the hearth Although- can be kind of a symbol of the household in general as well, like, mm-hmm. the 
association is clear of how the hearth can also like be associated with the kitchen or the whole household yeah and also like when before like electricity and also stoves and stuff the hearth is probably like in the kitchen because I would that, say, if I you're would cooking say there so. Yeah. So it makes sense that she's also associated with like the kitchen as an extension of the hearth. So an example of her punishing people who do not follow these taboos is uh, told in the Songjuge, which is a worship ceremony dedicated to gods of the house and village. So in this ceremony, a story is told about how Chuang Xin helped an envoy of heaven enter the house of a man named Hongui Yangshi. She decides to betray the master of the house and allow the envoy to enter his home because he has put his feet on the hearth and throws knives around the kitchen. So basically, he is not respecting the taboos. And so even though she is like loyal to the house, the people of the house, she decides that since he's not respecting her and our taboos, she's gonna allow someone in to disrupt the house. Basically, she shows him how to get him into the house. Yeah, I also feel like that's a recurring theme in my mm-hmm. ladies as well of you have to respect the hearth and the hearth goddess yeah. otherwise harm may befall you yeah and that sort of goes back to what i said at the beginning of like because these goddesses are so constant in your life because it's the hearth is such an everyday part of your life you really need to show them respect because they really can mess with you i mean that's why they're so vital yeah absolutely they're part of your everyday life so you're you're very close to the hearth and to the hearth goddess mm-hmm. Yeah, she can, though, also be favorable to those who treat her properly. Um, and there's an example of that as well in a story in the Chasabun Puli, which is a Chiju myth. If you remember, Chiju is an island off the coast of the Korean peninsula where Shuang Shin helps the hero of the story because his wife gave her to, which is that rice cake. Mm-hmm. And so because she's being worshipped properly and treated properly, she's willing to help the hero of the story and... It doesn't really sound like it's that hard to keep her happy. So, yeah. yeah, So that's uh, all I really have on her. But I like her a lot. I just think she has rules to follow. They're not really that hard to follow. And they're important rules for keeping a nice and orderly household. So, yeah. Okay. So next I have Kamui Futsi, who is the Ainu spirit of the hearth. So the Ainu, if you don't know, are an indigenous people of northern Japan, specifically Hokkaido and Northeast Honshu, as well as Sakhalin Island, Kuril Islands, the Kamchatka Peninsula, and the Khabarovsk Krai territory, all of which belong mm-hmm. to Russia. Um, in present day, there are thought to be between 25,000 and 200,000 people of Ainu descent in Japan, though the number is difficult to estimate because of Japan's history of forced assimilation of the Ainu, which mm-hmm. also include denying them the right to speak their language. And now the Ainu language is critically endangered with only two native speakers. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Yeah, that's quite severe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the word Ainu means human in the Ainu language, which is in opposition to the word Kamui which translates to god or spirit. Kamui are divine or spiritual beings in Ainu mythology. And in addition to that, Toshimitsu Miyajima in her book Land of Elms, the History, Culture, and Present-Day Situation of the Ainu People describes Kamui as something that has powers beyond those of human beings. So it's not limited to deities or spirits, but also elements of the natural world like animals and plants because they also have powers beyond those of human beings. Nice. Yeah. So Kamui Futsi is the Kamui of fire in the hearth, and she's also called Abe Kamui, or Deity of Fire, and addressed as Iresu Kamui, or She Who Rears the Ainu. Mm. Yeah, so out of all of the Kamui, she is the one closest to the people, 
and she also acts as a mediator between humans and other Kamui. Most prayers are offered through her, and she passes the gratitude as well as the criticisms of the people to the other Kamui. Her domain is the hearth, which is where people can communicate with her, and in addition, the hearth is the entrance to the underworld. It's commonly believed that nothing must be allowed to contaminate it, and that no evil deed must be contemplated in Kamalusutsi's presence. Which, another reason why the hearth is so important is that it's believed that when people die, their souls are kept by Kamalusutsi until they're ready to be assigned to a new body. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so her position as the keeper of the hearth is so important that she never leaves. Instead, she has other Kamui act for her in other places so that she can just stay at the hearth. Mm-hmm. The hearth fire is never fully extinguished, just covered in ashes for the night to allow Kamui Futsi to rest. Nice. In addition, um, she was the one who instructed Ainu women in the making of sacred girdles called kut, which are worn by women, passed down by their mothers, and have great significance. It's because of this that she is sometimes referred to as people teacher. In general, Kamui Futsi is of special significance to women who regard her as their ancestress, and it is believed that all women are allied with her. Nice. Yeah, and um, her role as the guardian to both the souls of the deceased and the home make her one of the most powerful and important Kamui. The people feel closer to her than to other Kamui and invoke her in daily domestic rituals, which shows the importance of the home as the center of life. Yeah. In addition to that, the second part of her name, Futsi, may have been adopted into Japanese as Fuji, so the name of the volcano, Mount Fuji. Wow. Yeah. um, The way that I understand it is that the etymology isn't, like, known for certain, but that's a possibility. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. That's super interesting. I think it's, like, first of all, it's really interesting that the hearth is the entrance to the underworld. It's very cool. I think that's really interesting, especially because, um, again, like thinking about sort of the underworld mythology, like it's right there. It's in your home. It makes a lot of sense. And which is really interesting because then it's sort of like less of a scary concept of death if it's in the hearth, I feel like. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it feels more familiar and like Mm -hmm. home. Yeah. And that's in opposition to procreation, you know? Yeah. Like that's how souls are regenerated into new bodies for like the next life. And that's really nice. I think it's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like she's a really important goddess, which is is. really interesting because, like, I feel like a lot of the goddesses of the heart that I researched were, like, obviously, like, significant in their own right, but, like, weren't super high up there in, like, their actual, like, respective pantheons. Oh, yeah. My my experience was the opposite, actually. Really? Especially Kamui Futsi. She's, like, one of the most important ones. One of the most important Kamui, if not the most important. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. Like, she's close to the people. She does things Mm -hmm. that are very important to, like, daily life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that super makes sense. I think it's super fair. Like, like the gods that you encounter the most in your daily life are, like, the most important ones because, obviously, you're going to be seeing them the most and they're the most, like, significant to you. So I think that's really cool. And she's also the one who keeps the souls of people before they go into... Mm-hmm. new bodies and like that's idly yeah yeah and i think that's really like, that's a really huge responsibility yeah so she's like everywhere and i th- yeah like it's obviously the hearth is like super important i mean it makes sense that like you mentioned like pre-electricity fire was so important mm-hmm. and also like fire was probably you know it's like the difference between life and death in a lot of cases i've been sort of thinking about this because i'm like sort i'm not we obviously haven't talked about all the women yet so we'll have to like sort of keep an eye on this but women who are from places that are colder versus places that are warmer that fire is especially vital fire is obviously important everywhere because you need to eat 
everywhere. And it does get cold even in places with warmer climates. But if you like live in a place like this area where um, I knew people are most found is like very cold if it's like around Russia and stuff. So it sounds like fire is like incredibly important literally as a life source. And so it makes sense that like the underworld is associated with fire and life and death yeah. is associated yeah, with fire. Yeah, that's true. And also we talked about this a little bit in the Sun Goddesses episode, but like if yeah. you're from a place that's cold, the sun is going to be so important. It's going to be like such a friendly sight to see. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing it'll be the same thing with fire. And about mm-hmm. how, like, also if you live, like, super far north, the, like, goddesses of, like, snow and, like, winter are, like, not, you don't, like, you don't want to see them. But the goddess of the sun and, like, fire, she, you would be very happy to see her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, without a hearth, you would just, like, die. You you would just die because you, if it's cold, you need warmth or else you're going to die. Like, that's, that's just how it works. That's how humans work. That is generally how it works. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of a lady from a place that's warmer, my next lady is Chantico, who is an Aztec deity. Um, And so, first of all, I will say that's actually unsure if Chantico is actually a mythal lady. Um, Texts refer to Chantico with gender-neutral masculine and feminine terms. But in art, Chantico is depicted wearing clothes most commonly associated with women, um, which is why we're talking about her today. The name Chantico can be translated as she who dwells in the house or she who comes to make the house. And she's also known as the Lady of the Capsicum Pepper or the Yellow Woman, um, which is because of how she is depicted in art. She is often like her skin has like a yellow tinge to it. In her depictions, her face is marked with two red lines, which match the black markings on the face of Xolotl, who is the male god of fire and storms. And she also wears a nose ornament that's also worn by him. So they have like they're sort of matching Okay. And she carries a bundle of light on her back. Oh, that's nice. And other aspects of her depiction, which include she often wears a crown of cactus spines, a crest of green feathers on her head, and there's a band on her neck that creates a symbol known as the Atlatlachidnoli, or a water fire symbol. And all of those sort of symbols show her associations with warriorship. The spines are associated with danger and aggression, the feathers are associated with warriors, and the symbol is associated with war and pestilence. Mm -hmm. Some say that, records say that during the Spanish genocide of the Aztecs, the emperor Moctezuma had an effigy of Chantico with a removable leg that he used to pound on the ground and curse Hernán and the Spanish colonizers, which, like, I don't know if that's true, but it's clear that she's associated with, like, warriors yeah, because of her depictions. Makes sense. Fire can also be destructive and powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so she's most associated with the town of Xochimilco, mainly due to its large population of stonecutters, which she is a patron of. And she was also worshipped in the home as well as in temples, which is, of course, common when it comes to hearth goddesses. She was particularly worshipped in the 29th building of the Templo Mayor, the main worship complex in Tenochtitlan. Mm -hmm. The story in which she is most well known for is found in the Codex Rios where she breaks fast during religious ceremony by eating roasted fish and paprika. Uh, specifically, she the paprika was forbidden. She wasn't allowed to eat paprika. Oh. But she did, and as a punishment, the god Tonakate Quitli turned her into a dog. And she's also known by name, meaning nine dogs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting, because I feel like my the goddesses that I 
research today, they weren't as like subject to human folly as like other deities. Like they were quite like oh, absolutely, yeah, upstanding people who didn't like make mistakes. So that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shantika was like punished and turned into a dog. Yeah, she's also associated with the ninth day of the eighteenth Trisena or thirteenth day period of the Aztec calendar. And people are, who are born on that day are said to encounter misfortune due to the day's association with sorcerers, and many of them could shapeshift into animals. So again, there's other like kind of negative associations there because misfortune. That is interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Like you were saying, it's not exactly a cold place, so fire won't feel as necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's also associated with the protection of precious things within the home and treasures. And so that's another thing that I was thinking uh, was her leads to her association with warriorship, if that's a word. Might as well be. I feel like she's also sort of a protector of the home. And I think that in a way, the hearth is a symbol of the protection of the home as well. So that's my theory of why she is sort of depicted as a warrior. But also, as you said, and as I started thinking after I started talking, maybe it's also because fire is viewed in a less positive way in um, the Aztec Empire because it's a warmer place and it's less necessary and, you know, it could be more likely to cause destruction or, you know, heat is just more of an issue that people have to deal with. Mm-hmm. She's also associated with the fertility goddess, Koshalotl. Mm. who is considered to be a manifestation of Chantico and also a female counterpart to Xolotl, as demonstrated by their linked names. Mm-hmm. And to this day, she is the namesake of many things throughout the world, such as a popular restaurant, an early Starbucks drink, and a nonprofit <laughs> organization. So Very varied. Yeah, she's kind of everywhere. Starbucks. Yeah. Great. Yeah, very interesting, actually, because that was like one of the first results when I searched her. It was like, do you remember the Starbucks drink? And I was like, no, because it came out in like the early 2000s. But like, interesting. You weren't, you were alive, I was but not, not very conscious of conscious Starbucks. of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think she's interesting. And yeah, she's definitely sort of different than the rest of the women that we talked about because she's more of a, a flawed figure in a way. Yeah. Because she has that story where she is, you know, turned into a dog as punishment because she eats paprika when she's not supposed to. Is she meant to be like temperamental, like fiery personality-esque or... I mean, probably. I don't really know. Okay. It's also interesting because a lot of most of like the goddesses that I looked at, like don't really have stories associated with them necessarily, like myths and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. they're just sort of, you know, figures as opposed to like, oh, this is a story about like this god and this happened and this means this now or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Not like fleshed out. Like like, like, mm -hmm. things happen and then someone said whatever, you know, kind of stories that are more detailed. Yeah, so it's interesting that she has a story that she's actually very well associated with. Like, she has a whole nickname based on the story. I agree. So, yeah, she's an interesting character, kind of an outlier, I believe, um, depending on, I guess, your next lady, but probably. You know, yeah. I would say she's a bit a bit different to my next lady, so... Um, yeah, but also pretty fun. Different side of the hearth goddess. She's definitely fun. So my next lady is Imoinu, who is the hearth goddess in Saramahism, which is a religion practiced by the Métis people in the state of Manipur in northeast India. Though in the present day, it's only practiced by about 8% of the people in Manipur. Most people practice either Hinduism mm. or Christianity. Mm. But um, in Métis mythology, Imoinu is the second most important goddess after the mother goddess, Naimara of Sidabi. Mm. So like I was saying, yeah. very important in the pantheon. In addition to the hearth, Imoinu is also the goddess of wealth, prosperity, and peace. The first part of her name, E, means human being, 
Moi means rearing, and Nu means goddess. So her name can be translated mm. as human rearing goddess, which I will oh. say Kamui Futsi's nickname also means like rearing humans. So that's interesting. Yeah, I was just thinking of that. Yeah, very interesting. She's also referred to as Imoinu Ahongbi, and Ahongbi means giver of household properties plentifully. The legend of her creation involves a supreme being, Sidaba, ordering his consort, the mother goddess Laimaro Sidabi, to create another goddess to bear the responsibilities of rearing human beings on the earth. And so she created Imoinu, in a similar appearance to herself, and then she was the goddess of the hearth, wealth, prosperity, nice. and peace. Another story involving Imoinu is that she once fell in love with a man. Both of them swore to be man and wife and be faithful to each other. She visited the house of the man in his absence and found that he was already married. After discovering this, she sacrificed her love and swore not to see the man again. And she spent the rest of her life rendering help to sincere, honest, and hardworking poor people. Hmm. Yeah, so that's a bit different. Because this, this, there is a story associated with her, but yeah. first of all, I don't think it's that common. But did she? She did not get married. No, she okay had she like was subject to human folly, but then she was like, never mind, I don't want to be into this. So then uh-huh. she just devoted her life to helping people and yeah. being like okay. sincere. Yeah, it's nice, definitely. And um, so she is celebrated annually during the Imoinu Festival or Imoinu Iratpa which is held on the 12th day of the month of Wakjing in the Manipuri calendar, which in 2022 correlates to January 14th in the Gregorian calendar. Wow. So that would be just a few days ago when this episode comes out. Yeah. So that's really fun. Happy Imoinu festival. Mm -hmm. So it is said that Imoinu lands every year on that day and visits each home and showers people with blessings. Nice. The ritual is performed at home in public places, and people light candles and prepare food, including seasonal fruits, vegetables, and fish, which are then presented to Imoinu, who then rests at the hearth. Celebration of this festival began in the 5th century, but at first it was only by the royal family, but then by the 15th century, common people were worshipping her as well. This is actually kind of interesting, because as we were talking about, the common people are the ones who are close to the hearth. Yeah. Well, really all people, but like... Everyone. Well, so he, the thing is, I'm thinking is like, if you're really rich, you're not tending your own hearth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're going to have someone else do it for you. Mm-hmm. That's so, so true. Yeah. It really makes sense because the common people are the ones who are actually interacting with the hearth. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's very interesting. I don't really have the details about that. But in addition to people of Manipur, Imoinu Ratpa is also celebrated in the northeast Indian states of Assam and Tripura, as well as by some people in Bangladesh and Myanmar. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's my understanding that Imoinu Ratpa is celebrated all over Manipur, not just by followers of Sanamahism. Like, as I mentioned, it's a relatively small population these days. Mm-hmm. Um, in an article in Telegraph India, there's someone quoted saying, Even if we follow Hinduism, we cannot forget our ancestral goddess of wealth. We pray to Mother Imwini to protect our family from evil and bless us with peace and prosperity. I also pray for peace, which I think is nice. Like, she's important in general. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah. She's also worshipped in everyday life in Meitei households by offering a small portion of cooked rice before eating. And if there's no actual hearth, which is sometimes the case in modern households, a modern fireplace is constructed where the ritual is performed. Awesome. Yeah, which kind of answers the question of, like, what about now when not everyone actually has a hearth yeah although i i think fireplaces are a 
wonderful thing in a home but i feel like most places don't have fireplaces these days yeah most places don't have fireplaces i think it's a shame yeah but i think it's still really nice that they have a way to you know carry on the ritual and that Imoinu is like yeah like a a constructed hearth like an electric fireplace or something is is good enough for me you know like that's yeah nice. <laughs> it's nice yeah mm-hmm so the reason why I was really interested in the marital status of Imoinu is because my next lady is Vesta, who mm-hmm. is, of course, the Roman goddess of the hearth and the Roman equivalent of Hestia, who we are not talking about here because she can probably have her own episode. She's just, she's too mainstream. We're going rare. She's too mainstream. Yeah. The themed episodes are for us to talk about less mainstream lesser known yeah (laughs) so yeah and she is known famously as a virgin goddess so Mm -hmm. that was why i was wondering that's fair yeah yeah so vesta is the goddess of the hearth home and family and she's actually usually represented by the fire kept in her temple rather than as a human figure so she is like the embodiment of the fire Mm -hmm. and she was a super important figure in roman mythology her worship began in houses where the hearth was and eventually spread out to the rest of the cities during the early days of the Roman Empire. And it was believed that Rhea Silvia, who was the mother of Romulus, and also Remus, but like he didn't found Rome, so um, <laughs> was a priestess who worshipped Vesta. <laughs> um, so you prefer and, Romulus to Remus? Well, like, again, he was the one who founded Rome, so he's the important one. Okay. Right? right? I don't know. Sure. Okay. So worship her to her was overseen and kept by the Vestal Virgins, who were the only ones allowed to enter temples dedicated to her. And they cultivated the sacred fire in the temples and couldn't let it go out. Oh yeah, um, I just realized they... there's a line in um, Romeo and Juliet with, where the word Vestal is um, means like virgin. It's like, yeah. her best deliveries, but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. Wow, how do you well, know Shakespeare. Some... Um, I had oh, to wow. memorize <laughs> I had to memorize this um, it's the butt stop a lot. There you don't have to breaks. I had to memorize that oh. for English class um, oh. in 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 um, ninth grade, and I wow. still know it. I'm so. impressed. I'm very yeah. impressed, Lizzie. Yeah. I, I don't, have any <laughs> I don't know why I still know it. I, um, I do. I have this memorized. Your best delivery is but sick and green. So, yeah. Shakespeare. Anyways. They, Vestal Virgins famously had to remain virgins for 30 years, facing the punishment of being buried alive if they broke that vow. Just getting that out of the way. Yeah. So she was so important because she was considered a protectress of Rome and the Roman people and was celebrated in the festival known as Vestalia, which was one of the most important Roman festivals. And during this festival, matrons walked barefoot through the cities to her temples and offered her food. If the holy fires went out or the Vestal Virgins broke their vows of chastity, it was believed to be a reflection on the state of Rome as a whole which is why they were punished so severely. So basically it was believed that if they broke their vows and let the fire go out, it meant that Rome was going to like fall into a negative period of time. Like they were going to have a bad period of time as an empire. And that's why it was so important to keep it going. And Emperor Augustus even made part of his home public property of the Vestal Virgins, which created a permanent tie between the state of Rome and the worship of Vesta. And Vesta was also a member of the Di Consentes, which were the 12 chief gods of the Roman pantheon, which is notably different than an ancient Greece when Hestia ah. is not one of the 12. Oh, but yeah, she hangs out Dionysus. in Olympus, though, doesn't she? 
Yeah, she. so the story is that she gives up her throne to Dionysus. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Which is very interesting. But she still, she still tends the fireplace, though. Yeah, she tends the fireplace. She's still allowed, but it's very interesting that she is actually, like, a member of the 12 chief gods in Roman but mythology. But Dionysus, not, not the god is of, not. like, vice and, like, drinking. <laughs> yeah, or Bacchus, as he is known in Roman mythology. Right, but right. yeah, not very Roman of him, you know. Not really Roman values, I would say. <laughs> and the cult of Vesta was so popular that it was actually the last known active pre-Christian cult in Rome until Emperor Theodosius I disbanded it in 391 AD. Nice. Yeah, that's how important she was. She was depicted as kind, motherly, and neutral in the affairs and arguments of the rest of the gods. So as I sort of said earlier... Minding her own she business. Doesn't, yeah, she's minding her own business. There aren't really a lot of stories associated with her because she's not really... She's she's staying out of it. You know, she's chilling. While the other gods are doing who knows what, impregnating people left and right, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of nice, actually. That's very rare among yeah. the Roman slash Greek gods. Yeah. Despite being a virgin, Vesta is also associated heavily with the symbol of the phallus and exists in a liminal space between virgin and mother. Does that remind you of anyone? Virgin Mary? Yes, I have in my notes. Not going to say Virgin Mary, but Virgin Mary. It reminds me of the Virgin Mary, um, who is both a virgin and like the perfect mother. So Yeah, I, I was thinking about that because I feel like with my ladies, she was kind of associated with like motherhood and like life, but then Vesta is a virgin. Mm-hmm. Like she's pointedly a virgin yeah it's very interesting but she was a virgin and a mother how interesting well she doesn't have any children but she's associated with like motherhood and motherly duties so she's like you know she's not like a virgin as in like a maiden you know she's a virgin as in like i guess she doesn't have kids but she is also associated with you know the work of older women and like women who like that's nice have children why was she associated with the phallus So some scholars believe that her association with the phallus is related to her association with the fire stick or the stick that is used to start fires. Okay. That's my next, that's my next bullet point. (laughs) Okay, sure. There you go. But as we were kind of implying earlier, the fireplace is the opposite of phallic. Hmm. Who's the one who keeps talking about phallic and yonic? Is that Freud? We don't like, or... I think it's Freud. I think that's Freud. I just we just want to say we don't like Freud. We don't like Freud. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <clears throat> Continue. Yeah. In many writings, uh, Vesta is also kind of considered to be an Earth Mother as well as a Hearth Goddess, and so is she's associated with the Earth and Fire as essential to making a home. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the hearth of the flame in her temples was considered essential to good agricultural harvest. So again, like if the flame went out, it would mean a bad harvest. Mm-hmm. And they needed to keep the flame going in order to ensure a good harvest. And the threshold of the home is considered sacred to her, and virgin brides are not advised to step on it so as to not offend Vesta. Mm. And my guess, obviously, and this is a presumption on my part, is this probably led to the practice of carrying brides across the threshold of a home in order to avoid her stepping on the threshold. Interesting. Okay. I do sometimes wonder about that. Yeah, I don't know if that's the case, but, like, it makes sense. So I'm going to say it's true. If I'm wrong, sorry. But also I feel like I'm not actually perpetuating anything harmful by saying that, so. It's, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so, like, the hearth is both the center of the home and the center of worship, which reflects Vesta's importance in the lives of ancient Romans. So, like, yeah. Yeah. 
I think, you know, this is the hearth goddess, right? Like, she is important both politically and religiously and, like, just socially. Like, she is the goddess in the home, and she's there to help manage your everyday affairs. And they couldn't have an empire without her. And so I think that that's really cool. I also think it's cool how um, how important she is and, like, to the extent that if things aren't going well with hearths and, like, fire, that it's, like, a bad omen for the entirety of Rome. Yeah. Especially considering we're talking about, like, Rome isn't, like, that cold. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anywhere. I mean, fire was, like, a big part of worship in, like, I would imagine Hellenistic that it would be, like, even cultures. more sacred. I mean, yeah, fire was just part of, like, yeah, and, like, rituals and stuff. Yeah. I mean, fire is important everywhere, obviously. Mm-hmm. Also, like, the fact that Emperor Augustus, like, gave part of his property to, like, the Vestal Virgins is very interesting to me. It's, it's like, she was that important that, like, the Emperor... Yeah, they were very... They were really important. Gave it... Yeah. Um, but even though, like I said, she's obviously, like, super important, but also, like, in the pantheon of the gods, like, she's not one of the more important ones. But she's really important in the everyday lives, which is interesting to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But Rome, I feel like, this is stretch, Rome was very into, like, being all grand and important and, like, whatever. So it makes sense that, like, the thunder god and, like, all this, like, more high-level, less domestic gods would be mm-hmm. considered to be more important. But, like, yeah. a lot of the other communities that we were just talking about, like, a lot of the other cultures weren't as, as like, into that kind of thing. Like, I mean, so the, the Aztecs were pretty warlike. I um, just mean, like, they weren't. Like, the, yeah, the fire was just, like, in the home. It was important because yeah. the people used it every single day. But Rome is much more ambitious. And they're like, it's important, but it's not the most important. Yeah. I don't know. But or, I, I mean, know. I guess they're not using it as, like, essential. They're more using it as, like, a symbol. Yeah. Then, like, you know, they're just, it's less, like, essential for, you know, survival and more, like, this is a representation, you know, in a superstitious way. I mean, I think all of them, all six of them, have to do with, like, fire is its power in any mm-hmm. in a variety of senses. Like, it's yeah. the power of, like, like, the energy of the home and, like, mm-hmm. cooking things and, like, you know, not freezing to death. But yeah. it's also important as a symbol of, yeah, power, like, victory, like, in Rome. Yeah, absolutely. Et cetera. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And it's very, like, underrated thing to be a goddess of which is interesting because like listening to all this like the hearth was so important yeah it really was and again i think that it's just hard for us to imagine when we like live in a time period where we have you know electric heating and use electric stoves and stuff and don't need the hearth and have like lights we don't need the hearth for light or heat or protection or Or cooking but you know that wasn't the case for like most of history 99 percent of human history like this is all very recent inventions like electricity so recent one time my town lost power for a whole week and we were very very happy that we had a wood stove it was like the only reason we weren't like freezing all the time yeah yeah my house at home has like a wood stove that we use sometimes in the winter. We would like heat water on the on the wood stove and that's how we would like bathe heat stuff. <laughs> well, oh. <laughs> quite, it wasn't quite that severe. <laughs> but it was you did not have power for a whole week. It was crazy. Yeah, that sounds very scary. Yeah, it was wild. School was canceled. It was a whole thing. Yeah, I bet. But yeah, the hearth is important. The hearth goddess is the hearth important. The hearth is very important. Yeah. 
And I also like the point that you kind of mentioned earlier about like the hearth is where stories are told. Yeah. That's so true. Like, and it just kind of goes to show like the hearth is so important. Stories are so important. Stories are told at the hearth. And that's like the, the point is mythology is important. This is where stories are told. Stories yeah. keep us alive in a similar way. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode. First themed episode of the year in the books. And if you liked it, please leave a review. Tell all your friends. Subscribe. Donate to our Kofi. And please also fill out the survey in the description. And thank you so much. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mid Ladies Podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mythaladies and visit us on our website at mythaladies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.